Hey, folks, coming to TBS, Tournament of Laughs is the ultimate comedic showdown with 32 comedians facing off in a single elimination bracket-style tournament. Hosted by Jason Sudeikis, each episode will challenge comics to create their own comedy videos and compete for your votes. The lineup includes Jeff Ross, Judah Friedlander, Margaret Cho, Godfrey, Natasha Leggero, the Squire Brothers, and dozens more. Many you've heard here. Watch Tournament of Laughs starting June 21st on TBS. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF, welcome to it. How's everybody doing? Things were, seem to be slowly and belligerently opening up here in California. I guess if you decide it's okay, it's okay. Magical thinking. It's amazing that given the small window of opportunity to get a little back to normal without any real information being dispersed in an appropriate kind of blanket way around this virus, that uh, just just a little crumb that we might be able to get back to some sort of at least phase one of something, some business is opening. It's amazing how quickly a large number of people just decide it's over. It's over. I, I'm, I, I, I am grateful that my industry is uh, continuing to be cautious because it's so not over. And just the belligerence of it. I get it. We're tired of this. The inconvenience, the lack of work, the inability to get out and do things. But that doesn't mean you can decide it's gone, and it is. It's amazing how quickly people surrender their intelligence, their memory, their common sense, when they've had enough. It's scary, really, how that can be applied. Today on the show, I talked to uh, Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano. Great. It's great. Got a movie coming out called From the Vine. It will be on VOD next month. But you know him from everything. He's been in everything. And I know some of you may have heard that he got into a little accident. Well, I tell you, you know, I'm feeling okay in this half hour, in this process of missing and mourning or grieving or just Lynn Shelton. I also want to tell you that there's a beautiful uh, hour-long or so tribute that's up on YouTube that her friend Megan did called Her Effortless Brilliance, A Celebration of Lynn Shelton. You can watch that on YouTube. It's got a lot of the actors and all, you know, someone from most of her movies and then musicians from uh, all the films that uh, did the soundtrack work doing a song. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Her Effortless Brilliance, A Celebration of Lynn Shelton. You can find that on YouTube. So Joey Pants got into a bad accident. And, you know, like days after I talked to him, I, I talked to Joey Pants before Lynn passed away. And after she passed, he wrote me an email. Dear Mark, now I'm talking like I'm from Jersey. Dear Mark, I'm deeply sorry to hear of your unthinkable loss. 
I only heard yesterday and was devastated for you. We listened to you talk with Lynn Shelton yesterday, looking at pictures. She was so beautiful. She seemed to shine. I'm so glad you found each other and had that special time with each other. I don't know if this will help, but I want to tell you an antidote to our talk a couple of Thursdays ago. I recall at some point talking about the benefits that I've experienced from COVID-19, that I've been spending much more time with my wife and adult kids, taking long walks, discovering hikes close to our house. Well, the following afternoon, we ventured out after a long rain Thursday night into Friday. It was still drizzling, but the fog was clearing, and I love walking in the rain. We were walking to the corner of the main road when a cloud opened and this amazing rainbow just popped out, one of those double rainbows, so beautiful, I stopped and took my phone, did a little video, and posted it on Instagram less than a 100 yards from the corner where I was to cross. There was a woman about to make a left-hand turn onto our street waiting for oncoming traffic. Because of the rainbow, Nancy and the kids had gotten 30 yards ahead of me. The kids had already crossed the street, and Nancy was on opposite corner from me. This lady sees me and waves. I instinctively wave back. I don't know her, but I think she knows me from show business. Guess she's happy to spot me. She's so happy she keeps her eyes on me while she decides to commit to that left-hand turn into an oncoming suburban SUV doing 50 miles an hour. The guy didn't even have time to hit his brakes. T-bones her, slamming her with all that energy into me. I was hit up into the air and through a wooden three-post fence head first. EMT, concussion, and 10 stitches in my head. Torn meniscus, bad shoulder and back. I was a mess. I couldn't stand up. That should have killed me. No fucking rhyme or reason to why it didn't. Life. The love and pain and agony and the ecstasy of this journey. So few of us are lucky enough to have a dream, have the gumption to go after it, and then be lucky enough to have them come true. Some of us get to realize those dreams and more. You two were kissed by a rainbow. I'm so happy you found each other and had each other, held each other, loved each other. God bless you, your families, and may she rest in peace. Our family mourns your loss. Deepest sympathy, Joey Pants. I read that because, I, look, I, I've been getting a lot of condolence emails and a lot of support from all of you, but I, I read that because I, I was going to tell you what happened to him, you know, a couple of days after we talked, but I figured I'd put it into that context and uh, it came in the form of that condolence letter. I'm not giving any of you short shrift. You guys have all been great. Thank you so much for continuing to be uh, checking in on me. So many people checking in on me. I guess you know in grief, or I don't know, everyone tells me there's no right way to do it, but I guess you know that you're getting a little better when, you know, you're grateful for all the support, you're crying, you're you're spending time meditating, processing, praying, remembering. And then one day you, you think like, Hey, why the fuck didn't that guy uh, check in with me? Why didn't I didn't get anything from him or her? Why wouldn't why wouldn't they uh, send their condolences? As soon as you in in the midst of thousands of well wishing beautiful people trying to you know show me that I'm supported in this, one day the brain goes like I didn't hear from that guy. I've known him forever, and then you're like, all right, something's changing. But then I have to frame it. I got to frame it with the new wisdom, you know, the new wisdom. It's all right. 
Would I have reached out? You know, do you know what to say? Some people don't know what to say. Some people don't want to say anything. Someday you run into them, they'll say, I didn't know what to say. And, you know, it's not, it's not vindictive. They don't, no one owes anybody anything. Death is fucking weird and horrible. But it happens to everybody. I, I am getting a little, I'm not tired of it, but I, I start to understand, you know, why grief or death makes people uncomfortable. I mean, I have neighbors who I don't even know that well. And they're like, how you doing? And I just start weeping. And they're standing there and I'm like, I'm all right, I'm okay. You know, it just it happens. There's something, I'm, I'm sort of happy that, you know, I'm just, I'm, I have time to deal with this. You know, cooking and eating, monkey's okay, Buster's okay. I use my Traeger grill a lot. But you know when you use a Traeger grill a lot, when you use a wood pellet grill, I don't know if, if you guys experience this. Will you just tell me this? Is it just common? Like when you have a regular grill, charcoal grill and grease or grizzle or whatever gets on the thing, on the thing, you just kind of scrape it off or it falls into the coals and it just burns up like grease. But with this wood pellets, this is what I want to ask anyone who has a wood pellet grill. Does it create this fucking like petroleum looking sludge that expands, you know, when you try to clean it off of anything? It's just like, it's, I think it's all of the, sediment in the smoke mixing with the grease from the cooking it creates a kind of tar but it's like it's very it's it's viscous it's not it's not i wish it was more solid it's just this it's it's like oil and it spreads like oil it's the one downside does that is that just my grill or is that something that happens that's the big question that's that's what i'm worrying about right now my brain locks on to shit. You know what else is beautiful? You know when I talked about the hawk's nest and all the bird shit on my cars in my driveway? Well, there's like two baby hawks. I think there's two baby hawks and a mother hawk up there. And I just see them kind of hanging out. I guess they're learning how to be hawks. And uh, it's it's pretty stunning. It's a pretty beautiful thing. I wish I had some binoculars. I used to have some. I don't know what happened to them. But I've been watching them. One of the baby hawks ended up in one of my little trees out front, and I saw it there. And this is I, this is where I'm at. Like, the hawk was there, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Is this hawk fucked up? Do I got a fucked up baby bird of prey in my little tree here? Why isn't he up there with the other ones, with his family? And I just started looking at it. I'm like, are you fucked up? Because I can't handle a, a fucked up bird your size. I don't know what I'll do. The sadness of it will just fucking kill me. And I just sat there and looked at it, and I was like, well, maybe he's just hanging out. Birds just hang out. It's not like he's got somewhere to go, really. But if he's fucked up, I'm not going to be able to deal with it. So I think I'm going to go in the house for a while, come back out later to see if it's gone, and just hope it's gone, and not on my lawn with some sort of fucked up wing or head or foot or whatever. I just didn't, couldn't deal with it. I just taken the goddamn cat to the vet. I don't know what I would do. With a with a baby hawk with a broken wing, you know? I'm going to put that in a box and bring it to the fucking vet. I just couldn't. Well, that's where my brain went. But I came out. And he's gone. He's up there. I saw him this morning. Him and his sibling and the mother hanging out. Um, Joey Pants. Joey Pantoliano. Ralphie from The Sopranos. He was in the Matrix movie. He's been in everything. All right. And, um, you know, as I said before, he's got from the vine, a film that'll be on VOD next month. And, uh, 
You know, I talked to Joey Pants, and I loved it. Jersey, that that talk is coming right up. If you're doing more searching than streaming these days, then HBO Max is the new streaming platform for you. It's where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies and shows. Your search is over. It's all of HBO's series like Game of Thrones and Insecure, plus blockbuster movies like Joker and Crazy Rich Asians, together with timeless classics like The Wizard of Oz and Casablanca. But it's also the most beloved TV shows like Friends, The Big Bang Theory, and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Awesome animation like Rick and Morty, superheroes from the DC Universe, plus family favorites like Sesame Street, Looney Tunes, and Scooby-Doo. And there are new Max originals like Love Life starring Anna Kendrick. All your favorites all in one place for just fourteen ninety nine per month. Go watch something with Joey Pants like Bound. That's a really good one. Or binge his seasons of The Sopranos. Excellent. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit HBOMax.com to start your free trial. Free trials for new customers only. Restrictions apply. We're also sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's three new non-dairy frozen desserts are a new twist on vegan euphoria. So many non-dairy flavors, so little time. Ben and Jerry's has three new non-dairy frozen desserts made with sunflower butter. The Ben and Jerry's flavor girls have taken a big leap this time. Their new non-dairy flavors are the perfect sweet treats for vegans, vegetarians, and everyone in between. I love Ben and Jerry, so when it comes to trying something new, I trust them. I trust them to deliver. And in this case, it also feels good to go totally plant-based. All the little changes add up, folks, and we can all do our part. These new flavors are great. They've got a milk and cookies flavor, which amazingly has no milk. There's also creme brulee cookie and mint chocolate cookie, all plant-based, all delicious. Check out the Ben & Jerry Sunflower Butter lineup and the whole non-dairy family at BenJerry.com. That's B-E-N-J-E-R-R-Y.com. It's nice to meet you, Joe. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me. How are you? How are you holding up? Where are you, in Los Angeles? Are you here? No, I'm in Connecticut. We live in Connecticut. Oh, really? Perfect, yeah. Are you going crazy? No, because, you know, we live, uh, I have three acres. I got I got three of my four adult kids here. Yeah. Uh, plus a wife and a boyfriend, and we're taking walks. You know, the first 14 days we were in isolation, um, and now it's just we, we're with each other. Right. We take so wait, walks. Wait, wait, so your wife has a boyfriend? Is that what you're telling me? No, no, my daughter's boyfriend. <laughs> that sounds pretty exciting. You're yeah. really open-minded yeah, guy. Yeah, we're very, very liberal-minded here in Connecticut. <laughs> you know, it's it's really bizarre. It's weird. It's, it's fucking I, crazy. Normally, I pretty much live on the couch anyway. I mean, I'm, I've been isolated <laughs> for the last... 12 years but but this thing this yeah we're starting to pop at the scene people are people are getting crazy my friends some of my friends are going crazy yeah uh you know uh i got yelled at by a lady in the uh, supermarket <laughs> last week they put these tapes yeah. on the floor so right. you, you, this goes straight and no two carts at the same time anymore and i didn't know and <laughs> 
lady <laughs> screaming at me about I'm going the wrong way and I didn't see the line, so I don't know what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like being a vampire, you know, it's yeah. like back back away. It's crazy, man. But you'd stay in touch with friends and everything? <sighs> the thing that I've noticed is my friends I'm talking to my friends on the phone again. Yeah. You know, for the last two or three years, everybody's kind of texting each other. There's no connection. Right. You know, my phone didn't right. ring. Right. Uh, that's a good thing. And, uh, uh, you know, some of my friends have gotten, uh, some, some of my friends died. You know, I've, I've, I have three friends that died and, and seven of them are still in the hospital. Um, but the thing of the coronavirus. Yeah. How many died? Uh, well, if five people I know died. Oh my God. Um, and, uh, and three were, you know, good friends in New York. Uh, well, one was in Florida. One was 80, 81. Yeah. He had, he had like what they would call pre-existing conditions. Right. Uh, you know, one friend got, got sick and they thought it was, uh, you know, stomach blockage. It turned out, uh, it was before, uh, they shut down. I was doing a play in New York and it was before they shut down the theater. Yeah. All the theaters. And, uh, so it was diagnosed as, as a stomach thing. Uh, it turned out to, to probably have been the corona, but he didn't die. Everybody's frightened and, and nobody's saying that they're frightened. So they're arguing. There's arguments about things that have no relevancy because yeah. they're cooped up and, and, and concerned. Yeah, man, I, I, that's, uh, it's devastating. I'm sorry you lost your friend in that. I have not, you know, that, that so many people on the East Coast, I guess all over are being personally affected. I, my mother's friend got it, but she got, she's got through it, but I, I don't know anybody personally out here. Yeah. Yet. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But uh, but I can't believe that you spend a lot of time on the couch. It looks like you're working every fucking minute. <laughs> it's the only reason why I work is to get off the goddamn couch. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if I don't say yes, then I'll be on the couch. How many times can you watch Casablanca? Well, I mean, is that why a lot of times you, I mean, have you made movies you don't even remember doing? Yes. And I've been seeing them. <laughs> I, you know, literally you see stuff and you go, I don't remember. But, you know, recently my friend Andy Davis, yeah. who uh, directed The Fugitive, and right. we did three three movies together. And right. we did a movie with Andy Andy Garcia and Alan Arkin called Steel Big, Steel Little. And and I always told him I, I didn't understand the movie. So he sent me the movie. It was right. a, like the Blu-ray. He says, this movie is so up to date. You know, it's so relevant to today and what's yeah. going on. And it is. Yeah. Um, but I saw I, there were scenes. That, there's a whole sequence where I'm in drag. Yeah. Literally, I'm just <laughs> in full drag. I don't remember shooting it. <laughs> I don't remember shooting it. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 how is that possible, Joe? Well, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, so <laughs> that might have to. nothing to do with it. You but, were able uh, to you were able to work on you know drunk and work uh, on dr what was the drugs what drugs did you like? Well, actually, no, I was I wasn't really drunk when I worked. Yeah, I right. Drunk when I got home. Right. Uh, but my you know my favorite drug was uh, painkillers, oxycodone. Oh, oh yeah. You know, as I yeah. as it turned out, 
that you know I, th- I I I talk about this in my in my second book, but you know I had seven deadly symptoms. Yeah. Right. And, right. and my first drug of choice was food. So when yeah. I was fourteen, I wound up becoming a house. I put on a hundred pounds, and I wanted to be. I wanted the girls to like me, so I started starving myself, and that had a whole different effect. The idea that I could go to bed, you know, I could stop eating at seven. And, and go to bed and wake up in the morning having accomplished that goal of not eating. And, and the feeling that it gave me, uh, um, I really loved that feeling. Um, and then, you know, success for a long time was a drug of choice that if yeah. I, and all of this, this was like to escape this feeling that was living in here so that if I could become successful, this would go away. Or if I could, you know, if I could sleep, with the, the beautiful uh, actress, model, whatever, this would go away. What was it? What's that? What What is that? That sadness inside? You mean? Yeah. Well, I, you know, intellectually, I didn't know that it was sadness. That it was, you know, uh, overwhelming depression. Right. I didn't know that. I just knew that I didn't like the way it felt, and that if I achieved this, that this would change, and this yeah. never changed. I just felt it. I just felt because I'm sober myself, but I just felt like in, when you talking about that, you know, I just felt the, uh, the that that weird rush of relief that you literally feel in your heart when you eat a piece of cake or do a fucking line of blow or fuck somebody. I just mm-hmm. felt it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't I don't usually feel it. But yeah, there was something about the way you were communicating it. How how do you did now do you do uh like are you a sober guy or you just you just done with that shit? No, I you know I I do I do a lot of things, but yeah. you know it's like one thing I I realized is I'm far from sober. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm a fucking lunatic, you know. <laughs> so I don't do drugs and right. I don't drink alcohol yeah. and I don't I don't alter my chemistry, but yeah. I'm I'm absolutely out of my mind. Yeah, I mean, you can get off on anything, right? You know, anger, yeah. food, whatever. So wait, how did you grow up? How did you come from it? You come from a depression? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there was a lot of trauma in my family. It was uh, handed out to me. My, my mother, uh, you know, my mother hated her father and and uh and she hated men. And and it, 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 even the men that she loved, she she that self-fulfilling prophecy where she would go after to get them to pop. Uh, and, uh, and when she, they went, and when we would pop, she would start singing who's sorry now and bad voice. She was a terrible singer, but to, as, as a challenge, smoke four packs of cigarettes a day. And she'd go, who's sorry now? Like I won. You know, I won. After Fuck she gets, you. I won. after you, after she pushed you over to the edge, over the edge, and she did that with my father and her third cousin lover, uh, who uh, ultimately turned out to be my biological father. That Why? I what? Out. Yeah, until what I, I was twenty, sixty. I was sixty-four years old when I finally found out. I got absolute evidence with that twenty-three and me that I, I did it. Because my sister was giving me all kinds of shit that why did I say that cousin Flory might be daddy? Um, and, uh, and so I was staying with a friend. He said, you know, there's this thing 23 and me. That'll shut her up. Yeah. So I sent the kit to her and we both spit in the tubes and it came back, said I was, uh, you know, she was my half sister. 
Oh my God. <laughs> so that's just a few years ago? Yeah, that was a few years ago. Oh my God. So, right. so wait, you, where'd you, you grew up in New Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in Hoboken, New Jersey. Small town. Yeah, yeah. It was a small town then. Now it's a hipster town. Back then it was what? Was it mostly Italian? It was, a, it was multi-ethnic, you know, very diverse, but I mean, it's like, it's only a mile square and there's something like 45, 50,000 people live there. Uh, now it's a very wealthy community now. Yeah, it got all redone and everything. So what, what was, uh, what was the family business? Well, you know, my father, monk, Dominic Pantoliano, uh, he, he was a foreman, but he was a degenerate gambler. So, yeah. and so was my mother. Uh, so was everybody. You know, everybody was always pay, playing the numbers. <laughs> always, you know, it was the daily double and, uh, and oh. Flory, cousin Flory, I remember. Your going, real dad. Yes, yes. Uh, like Aunt Lizzie, his mother, who my mom would take me to the city every, you know, on the weekends to say, see Aunt Lizzie. Right. I realized, I found out that Aunt Lizzie was my grandmother. You know, so wait, at so, 62, so, I had to do the math then. How 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 are they related? How is uh, Flory a cousin? Uh, Flory uh, was a callow. My mother's, so on my mother's mother's side. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, so and then Aunt, Aunt Lizzie was my mother's second cousin. My oh, grandmother okay. was my, you know. So, right. and, and point of fact, my grandmother was also my fourth cousin. But everyone's a degenerate gambler, so that's a that's that's one of the bugs. Right. Right. Absolutely. You didn't, you didn't get yeah. that one? No, no. Cause you know, we'd have to, we'd have to sneak out in the, in the dark of night to beat the landlord that was, you know, putting liens on us. Um, you know, my mom would, uh, you know, I was born in 51. So if, if they shut off our, our telephone, which was a constant every 80 days, they yeah. shut it off and then she'd get the, the daily news and go through the obituary and, and see who died and say, okay, yeah, hello, this is Mrs. Sullivan. Uh, I just moved to 701 Adams Street. Uh, I need to get my phone turned on. And that's... She just, she'd use the dead person's name? Or the, oh, yeah. the wife? That... She would she would get $5 a vote. It, it, when I, we would go to all of the polls because she said, listen... Dead people have as much a right to vote as people that are alive. And she would go and find people. You ever see the, the movie, The Great McGinty, Preston no. Sturgis? Oh my no. God, you got to see this movie. It's fantastic. But you know, that's what we would do because the whole thing that, that saying all politics is local politics has a way bigger meaning for me. Oh, cause they, she would, they, they, she'd get paid by a candidate to vote for dead people. Yeah. And you, you know, and you get, you get your guy in over the third war to be an alderman and, 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 you know, now they had some power, so Uncle Popeye became the dog catcher. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Popeye was also the town drunk, so he would forget that he had dead dogs in the trunk. Is that and serious? And when we'd go down the Jersey Shore, we, we, you know, the kids, none of us wanted to be in Uncle Popeye's car because it smelled of uh, of those terrible Tempico cigars and, and dead, rotted dogs in the trunk. You couldn't get the smell out. So you didn't want to go to the beach with him, huh? Didn't you want to go down to Jersey Shore with Uncle Popeye? Yeah, Long Branch. Yeah, he didn't want to do that. 
So when do you get like and your father, you, they're both gambling. God, you're so fucking lucky. I, I tell you, man, as a guy who did drugs and drank and sex and whatever, the gambling one, I'm so glad I never got that. Yeah, because it's because it's like it's crazy. I don't even, I don't even understand where the fun in it is. You know what well, I mean? Well, that's like, the thing. There is no fun in it. There's no fun. In, I mean, the, the the thing is, what what I had to learn was that it was the 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 aggravation, the 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 that rage, that that fear, the confusion that was visceral. That I could feel. That yeah. That reminded me of home. But this whole idea of serenity that right. I, I couldn't pick serenity out in a lineup. You yeah. know, it's like what has no feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Who needs that? Anger and rage is a much more visceral feeling than love. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so you do you have a constant, do you have to constantly kind of, because uh, I find as I get older, because I have an anger problem too, but like, yeah, you start to realize you hurt people, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like, what are the, does it have to be said? Does it have to be said now? Does it have to be said by me? I, I talk a lot less now. <laughs> okay. Nothing. To, no, I have nothing to add. <laughs> In that way, everybody stays around. They don't, yeah. yeah. You don't end up alone yelling at nothing. Yeah. So when do you, you just have the one sister? I have my sister, Marianne. Yeah. Marianne. And then I got, I got four kids that are all adults and, and, and four grandboys in Las Vegas. My daughter's in the restaurant business there. Oh, in Vegas. You go out there a lot? To see the kids. I hate Vegas. I've always I, hated it. I hate it too. You mean you hated it when it was nice before it got shitty? I, I hated it. Yeah. I hated it when, you know, the old Vegas. Uh, yeah. Because of, I, I think maybe because of the gambling. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it, it just, uh, and I just don't like the desert. I don't like, it's like. <laughs> too, too bleak. Yeah, everything looks alike. Yeah. You go by them all, and they got a dentist there, they got an eye place, they got the Pizza Hut, it's all the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've been living on the East Coast your whole life? Yeah, well, I lived in LA uh, for 20 years when I went to California I, in 77, somehow wound up um, in Venice and uh -huh. uh, lived around there. And then. You know, when my daughter was like 16, her grades weren't so hot. And I said, look, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't have to. I never work here. But my, you know, they hire me. I get on an airplane. I could do that back east. And I hear the schools in Connecticut are good. So either you get your act together or we're moving. So we wound up moving. And then after the first semester, she wound up becoming a, you know, honor student again. And I oh. said, what changed? And she said, well, I guess, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's cool to be smart here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. It's a good call on your behalf. Yeah. So when, so how did you start? How do you start the business? How do you start acting? Did you, did you go to New York? Where'd you go? Yeah. My, my uh, Flory had a friend that knew an actor. Not your and, father, not your mother's husband, the, the uncle. Yeah. The cousin Flory. You call cousin him your father Flory. now? Well, he, yeah, I, I called him my father. I called him both my father after a while. Okay. When he, when he got out of prison, he he lived with us, and then mommy threw daddy out of the house, and you know, Flory stayed. Oh, so and he was actually there when you were a kid. He was there until I was like, you know, he'd come and visit, and then I remember him. Uh, I, I have memories of him coming to the house and playing 
with with me. And then I remember my mom taking me to the federal holding facility. He'd been convicted of what I didn't know at the time and, 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 and saying goodbye and touching the glass and talking on the telephone. Uh, you know, I was seven years old. I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. What do you get? What was he in prison for? The last thing was, you know, uh, drug trafficking. He uh, was a, he was a solid, he was a wise guy. That's, yeah. you know, like I wanted to be an actor. He yeah. wanted to be, he wanted to be a wise guy. That's what he wanted to be. And he was. And he was. Okay. So how, how did that, how did he inspire your acting? Uh, he said, every, every move I ever made in my life was the wrong move. Yeah. So don't fuck up your life like I fucked up my life. The energy that I put into doing this shit, you could take that energy in a positive way. And if you put your mind to it, if this is what you want to do, because he saw me in the high school play, he said, if this is what you want to do, and there's nothing that can stop you. He said, remember, those fucking movie stars, they wipe their ass twice a day if they're lucky. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was what I wanted to do. And I and I met a guy who said go down to HP Studios, and that's how I, you know, I, I've been incredibly lucky in my life to meet mentors, you know, people that had something that I wanted, you know, like they say in the in the twelve step program, that that saw something in me that I didn't know existed and guided me. It was HB Studios. HB Studios. There was a guy named Al Sinkies. He wasn't even a teacher. Um, really talented guy, you know, uh, and I got to stage manage on, on shows that he directed. And, um, and that was know, in New York? Yeah, down on, on Bank Street. When, uh, okay. You know. um, and, and also teachers, teachers like uh, my my uh, speech therapy teacher there and and other teachers that followed after him and 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 just you know other people you know like uh, the Wallachs Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson because I was in school with their daughter Roberta and they uh, they they took me and introduced me to my first first agent and working my just those little teeny breaks a series of of those little thousand little breaks that you get. So what was it? So in high school you did some acting, but what was the first stuff you did in New York? See, when I decided to be an actor, I was my last year in high school and I was, I don't know, four months shy of being 19 years old because I was undiagnosed dyslexic. I, you know, they didn't have dyslexia then. It was either yeah. you're stupid, lazy or crazy. Right. You know, so I didn't know how to read. I didn't learn how to read because I was embarrassed. And it was so difficult. And I just took a attitude. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to be in show business is. I thought you didn't need how to read. To read. You yeah. Need to learn how to. <laughs> right. What do you need to read for? That looks easy. I've been yeah. lying my whole life, <laughs> and uh, and so that you know, my my teacher said, if you want to do this, you have an aptitude for this. You're going to need to learn how to read. So uh, I started. I, I was diagnosed. I found a, a teacher, an elementary school teacher, that evaluated me and said I had a third grade reading level. So those first two or three years at HB Studios. I used uh, to find off off Broadway, and I would audition uh, for little little plays that had no repercussions. Uh, so you know that I could fall on my nose, and nobody would give a shit. They, right? They weren't going anywhere, and I wasn't going anywhere. Right. And so I did a lot of these little basement plays, 
uh, as I started to learn how to read. And um, it's a crazy time, right? It was basement plays. It must have been pretty wild, though. It was the 60s, right? Or what? Early 70s? Early 70s. Yeah. But listen, the, you know, my, my rent was $106 a month. Right. I was weighing tables three times a week and living like a king. I was making, you know, $140 a week. Yeah. I had a lot of money. I don't know how these kids do it today. Yeah. So you're doing the little plays in the basement. You're learning how to read. You're waiting tables. Weighing tables. And uh, you get lucky. And I, I got to play uh, a national tour of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Who'd and you play? I, I played Billy Bibbit. Oh, wow. And then I, yeah. I got another production of that uh, with Robert Forster, a summer tour. Who did he play? McMurphy. Oh, no kidding. Huh. Yeah. He, you know, and he... He is another one that just, you know, saw something in me and, and and introduced me to people. I got to hang out with him and get to know him. And he was great. He was absolutely great. And and, uh, and I just uh, then I got my SAG card. For what? Uh, I did a I did a Joseph Strick movie. Uh, ba Barry Bostrick was in it. Regina Baff, Robert Dreyfus. I was thug number two. Uh -huh. And and uh, and and I I did that and I, I I would see guys that were in my acting class yeah. on television that they were oh there was this whole exodus of people that were going to New York from New York to Los Angeles and they were on like you know Police Story and uh, I Shied and Kojak and I'm thinking if those guys can get jobs I can get a job yeah so I saved up enough money with my then girlfriend. Fifteen hundred dollars each, and we we got on an airplane. So so you go out, and then you're you're just doing you start doing uh, TV in, in LA. Is that what happens? Yeah, I got really lucky really quick. I was uh, you know I was there a couple of months, and back in those days, you had the audition. You know, there was a, a casting director named Eddie Foy the Third, who who uh, was I guess the grandkid of Eddie Foy, the famous comedian. Yeah, and uh, he worked at ABC. He was a casting guy. Uh, headed casting, I guess, and and uh, my girlfriend uh, got an audition. We did a, we did a scene from a play, and he thought I was right for something, and recommended me for this this pilot with John Biner, this TV show that we're doing at ABC. John Biner, yes, yeah. another comedian. Yeah, and yeah. I and I wound up getting that job. Yeah, uh, and that was at <laughs> Columbia TV. What was that called? That was called McNamara's Band. Oh, okay. At that, um, Bernie Kukoff and Jeff Harris and Harry Columbia, uh, yeah. wrote, they wrote that. <laughs> uh, I think it wound up becoming turning into Johnny Dangerously, the, the, the Michael Keaton movie years later. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, somebody, you know, Columbia TV, I got hired by Rob Reiner for a TV series that he did, a half hour show, um, after all in the family called free country and it took place it was a turn of the century sitcom yeah we did five of those and then and from that columbia tv was doing the remake of from here to eternity a six-hour miniseries and i got yeah. that did you play uh, the trumpet player no pruitt no i i wanted to play, i played angelo maggio the, the part oh, of course you know, right Frank yeah, Sinatra, yeah 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 which was funny because he was from hoboken too yeah yeah did you ever meet that guy i you know i i met sinatra from afar 
but he had sent he had sent his guy uh, Mickey Rudin was his attorney, and at yeah. the at the party, the premiere party, Rudin introduced himself to me, and I was such an idiot. He said, you know, I've represented your predecessor for the last 30 years, and I didn't know what a predecessor was. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, what's the predecessor? He said, Frank Sinatra. I said, no kidding. I said, you know, his his father and my grandfather were firemen together. He goes, I know all about it. I said, he said, he said, he said, I said what are you going to tell Sinatra? I, he says, I, I'm going to tell him you did all right. You did all right. But I was too nervous to meet him. <laughs> You're too nervous to meet Frank? Yeah. Did he, he holds that much. He holds a big place in Hoboken. Oh yeah, I mean, he was another reason. Like my friends in the acting class, if Sinatra could get out, so could I. It was a way to get out. <laughs> yeah, you know, they made on the waterfront in Hoboken. It was a way to get out. A lot of the guys were extras that were yeah. in the movie. You know, so it was like shit. Yeah, I'll be an actor. That'll be a way to get out. So right. So you're doing you're doing television in the seventies the there. And then, like the movie thing, when does that take off? Like, I re- I didn't realize you were in that Idol Maker movie. I kind of remember that movie. Well, that's the see. What happens is, is you meet people. You like, uh, in that case, Rita Riggs was the costume designer on on uh, All in the Family, and she did the thing with Rob, uh, uh, Free Country. And so Taylor Hackford was his first film, and he was staying at uh, at her place. Um, she had this beautiful um, warehouse apartment on Third uh, Street. So she said, "Hey, there's a guy I just worked with, Joey. You should bring him in." And so that's how I got that job. <laughs> yeah. And you sort of establish yourself as a certain frequency because you're, you know, you're a singular t- guy, singular talent. And it just seems like, you know, at, at, at any role that I've ever seen you in in my entire life, it's just like, which frequency of, of, of me do you need? Do you want me, how high do you want me to turn this up? <laughs> it's so true. It's sad, but true. <laughs> you're like you want a little bit or you want the full thing you want the right. full thing. <laughs> but but no it's great because you know no one can be you but that was the first movie the first big movie was the idol maker i think so when do you like outside of just doing the work i mean when do you realize i guess it must have been risky business where you're like i'm a guy now people know me i'm on the street they recognize well, I, me I, I thought that was the case when i did from here to eternity and yeah. then and then i didn't work for 18 months and I was weighing tables again. Uh, oh, no, really? Yeah. Oh, shit, uh, that's the worst. In New York, you could get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I was always just trying to pay the rent. You know, I was always, you know, it was just like I, the, the drive, I was motivated by fear. Fear, of, and it's always the last job. I'm never going to work again. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I never wanted to get too attached. It was like I'm, I didn't want to have to say goodbye. I hate saying goodbye. So when yeah. movies were over, it was horrible. You know, it was a hard. Those last days are always horrible because it just you got to say goodbye, and you you know, and it's you get attached. Well, it's also it's like this kind of concentrate. You yeah. get there, you show up, and this one's your wife, and that one's your lover, and this is your brother, and, and so you, it's like instant. It's instantaneous. Yeah. Right. And, and I have then a you family. Never see them again. Yeah, yeah, like I have a family, and then yeah. they're gone. And they're gone. So, so it's, but I, I just love the noise of it, the distraction. 
uh, the, 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 the moment of clarity in between action and cut, you know, it's like, I, I always kind of thought, I never knew who I was. Yeah. You know, I, and I liked the idea that I could invent somebody that I wanted to be like, you know, I think one of the reasons why I, I, I'm so convincing at playing bad guys is because I was such, I was so bullied as a kid because I was fat. I was always getting my ass kicked because I was an easy target. These bastards would see me and they just start smacking me around. And, and so I never, when I, I, I could never stand up for myself. So seeing those guys in my mind's eye, when I was playing these scenes, I've, a lot of times I was getting even with these bastards 30 years later. No kidding. <laughs> my doctor said I was sublimating. Unresolved feelings. So, so by playing the bad guys, you were able to beat the bad guy. Yeah, I, I, or, or the bad guy that you know kicked your ass when you were humiliated a me. Humiliated me. You know that the, the, that's a terrible feeling to be humiliated like that. To be embarrassed, shamed. Yeah, and you think you're weak. You think it's you. So you knew all these guys. You, you're very familiar with bullies from the other side of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, you know. And and that's why Trump bugs me so much. Oh, he's, he's a real a, real deal. Nasty, lying, uh, you know, guy that got had to have been bullied his whole fucking life. I don't know. Was he though? I mean, he he seems to just. Rel I think he's just kind of a sociopathic narcissist. I don't think he ever got. I think he always just sat there and you know waited for his moment to. No, I to, think I I think you got to be creative. You got to be hurt that bad. To, to 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 be that isolated and his old and, man it must have been mean, his old man had to be his old man yeah. yeah had to be but you you your fam you didn't get it from your family did you no i mean my mother was <laughs> right my, right right my mother yeah. was uh you know the shit that she would she'd say the stuff that she would say to us you know and then but she was damaged you know she she had a terrible childhood and and she was the victim of incest uh, by, by the hands of a father. She was she was terribly, terribly damaged, terribly damaged. And and as a result, we were you know we were victimized by that. She loved us. It was you just never knew who you were going to get. You know, right, you never... right, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting though, because you know you're a guy, and I, I'm the same way. Like I feel like I don't know who. Like for most of my life, I didn't know who the fuck I was. But like when you watch like an old piece of work you did, can't you see yourself? I mean, like after a certain point, like I started to realize, like I, how am I the only one that doesn't know who I am? Because I'm the same guy. Like I can see it in there. There's parts of me that never changed, which means to me that I was somebody, that I had a self, but for some reason living in it, I couldn't quite identify it. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you no. know, I mean, part of, you know, there's a lot, I never liked watching myself. You know, and now that I'm an old man, yeah. to see my new, you know, the, the more recent stuff that the way uh, my body is and I'm leaning mm. over and I'm rotting away. You know, it's like <laughs> I can't stomach it. I, you know, it's Billy Wilder was quoted as saying, is some of my work I load less than others. Yeah. You, you feel <laughs> that way? Oh, I totally feel that way. So when totally. did you like like when you're at working like when you did risky business? Well, you know Tom Cruise a big star yet, or he wasn't, was he? No, no. So like you didn't know what was going to happen with that movie. You're just taking a job. That's right. 
taking a job. And I, you know, and at that time they were doing all these kid movies and it was for me, it was just two weeks work. And that was a big deal. That kind of broke you, didn't it? Well, yeah. It's like, what the hell? I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, uh, you know, that it, that it was that successful. Like what the hell happened? Yeah. And that's, that became my kind of connection with Warner Brothers for years. They, I went from one Warner Brothers picture and, you know, with, with success, uh, you know, the, the fugitive and, and, uh, the, you know, Matrix. I did a lot of, uh, the Goonies. So it was, Goonies. it was risky business to the Goonies. Yeah. And the, the Goonies to the fugitive and the fugitive to the Matrix. And, you know, and then, and those are the ones that made money. I, I, I'm not mentioning the, the shitbox ones. Right. But you were in La Bamba. That did all right. I saw it. That was a huge, that was it. Yeah. And that was Taylor Hackford. Again. He introduced it. So, yeah. you know, it's like you make the, the, the one thing that I had been very lucky about is that these guys liked me enough to hire me again. Yeah. That's the one fucking thing. Cause it's certainly not talent. Uh, no, you bring the juice, man. You're fucking Joe <laughs> Pantoliano. My, my daughter, my daughter, she says, uh, she just made, made me change my Instagram. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh and it's, uh, I say, I'm no actor and I got over a hundred movies to prove it. <laughs> When when you were doing uh, uh, Empire of the Sun, could you ever have imagined that Christian Bale would be who he is now? Oh, uh, no. I, I could never imagine him being 20. We actually just saw that movie for the first time. You know, last week we did a Goonie reunion. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Josh Gad, he put together. So it was like Spielberg and Donner and Chris Columbus and all the Goonie kids and me and Robert Dobby, the Fratelli family. Uh, you know, one of those Skype things, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and so after, after doing that, it was really cool to do it. It felt really good. And so we, my family and I watched the Goonies. Yeah. And, and, and they said, this is really, it's really great. This is a really fun movie. And I said, you know, we got to watch. So the next night we watched Empire of the Sun. I haven't seen Empire of the Sun in 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, and my kids were like, oh, who's that kid? <laughs> holy shit <laughs> yeah it's like it's the experience that i remember not the acting yeah yeah you're yeah. talking about oh yeah i was in china and, and i had to get i went to china we we shot four weeks in china and yeah. i had to drive a truck it was a double clutch truck right and so the chinese this is this is 1987 the Chinese made me get a driver's license. They wouldn't let me drive the truck unless I had a driver's license. Right. I was the first American to have a driver's license in China, and I <laughs> left it there. Idiot that I am. Um, you don't have your Chinese driver's license anymore? No. no. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> well, now you can drive a double-clutch truck, too. Yeah, yeah, if I could find that thing. But you remember him as a kid, though, Christian Bale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole family. They're yeah. adorable. They came to they came to our wedding. Nancy and I. We got married twenty six years ago. That, that was a Christian in his awkward stage. You know, sixteen years old. Right. Six three. Um, <laughs> That's fun. Do you still are you still in touch with him now? I saw you know I saw him a, a, a while ago. He we were in a shopping mall and this guy comes up. He goes, Joey. It's Christian. And he says, I want, I want you to introduce you to my wife. You know, he's adorable. He's a good kid. They're, you know, he's a good man. He's a good yeah. man. Yeah. And, good actor, huh? Yeah. He's an amazing actor. Uh, and I didn't know, I, I mean, all I remember 
I told this to my kids. Uh, all I remember from that experience is how Steven Spielberg would have him running around before he said, said action. He'd get him on a bicycle. So the, the kid was always out of breath. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the few things that I remember about that whole entire experience. I remember we couldn't eat either because we were supposed to, we were in a concentration camp. Yeah. So I was like living in Spain for two week, two months and I was living in, in, in uh, in London and, and China and we couldn't eat. We had, to, we were on these strict diets because we couldn't put on weight. And, and you must, and that must have been terrible. All the good food around, right? All around you. I mean, That's, Spain, those Spanish people are crazy. They don't go out to dinner until three in the morning. I know it's food and all, everything's like a small plate to everything, but there's hundreds of them. Yeah. So, and then like, uh, and then another memory I have is that the, that Midnight Run character is hilarious. And they really, that was one of those characters where you could go completely crazy. Right? That was an interesting thing because Marty, you know, Marty Bress was somebody I knew from the NYU days when they were students, right? Yeah, right. So he calls me up and says, Hey, listen, uh, I'm doing this movie that take a look at these two characters. You could play either one of them, pick what you like. So I didn't like it. I said, I don't want to do that, Marty. I want to do something different. I've done that before. Well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to play the accountant. He started laughing. He said, that ain't going to happen. I said, well, the only other part then is is the, you know, the bail bondsman. He goes, no, no, no. The bail bondsman, I got this other thing in mind. I want the guy to be really, really fat. He says, if you want that part, you got to win it. You got to come in and audition. <laughs> I said, sure. I'm, you know. So they said, you're reading with Robert De Niro. And, uh, you know, I worked on that. I worked on it. And because of my dyslexia for years, I had always memorized the part, but then pretended I was reading because I didn't want them to think. Right. I was giving my best. This is my best A game. So you had to act it. You had to act on top of acting. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, I'm reading with De Niro. And at one point he's asking for money. He says, where's my money? Eddie? give me my money. And he, and he puts out his hand. Like, you know, give me the money. Yeah, yeah. And I took his hand and I shake his hand. And I put his hand up to my chest. And I started petting his hand. <laughs> I said, what's, and my line was, what's the matter with you? You don't trust me? And, I, and I'm like, like I'm making love to him. What's the right. matter with you? You don't trust me? Come over here. You're going to yeah. get you. You know, instead of like another actor would say, what's the matter? You don't trust me. Get out of here. So I saw De Niro's eyes go like this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it was like, whoa. <laughs> Who's this guy? And I felt really good. It was one of the only times I remember, like, feeling like I got the job in the room. And and uh, was that the first time you met De Niro? I think officially. I used to yeah. see him in the village because, of course, I knew who he was. Um, and, uh, oh, and I, I had a small part in Godfather 2. And, uh, and I... We were on 6th Street between Avenue A and B. They took that whole street and turned it into 1920 New York Street. And uh, we were in a tenement building, and uh, and those apartments were turned into dressing rooms. And I accidentally walked into his dressing room one day. I uh, thought I was going into mine, and, and there he was. He was sit sitting there reading his script. Um, so I'd seen him around. I, I used to see him downtown at the bookstore. Uh, but that that was the first time officially met him as an actor. Did you guys hit it off pretty good? I liked him. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was uh, incredibly interesting to work with. Then, I mean, he was, you know, that young De Niro had a, a mystique and allure that he was incredibly uh, concentrated and and. Uh, but he, he he 
he was incredibly giving actor and yeah. uh and uh would you know knock on my door and say you want to run lines and stuff like that that uh it was always about you know doing a good job in the work and uh, totally accessible so i i adored him when, when, after you do midnight run and you start to do I, I don't remember when you did the uh the bad boy movies but i mean you just you just never stop oh the fugitive was probably before that yeah you know and it and it's not it has nothing to do with talent. It has to do with m- movies making money. Right. You know, back back then it was like, it, you know, this movie's a hit. Okay, he's in it. Boom. Like, you know, now I'm I'm in the the biggest hit movie in the world. Bad Boys for Life has been the number one movie. It's broken all red records because of the coronavirus. See, it's, <laughs> it's the last movie that's in the theaters. So nothing has come out, and because of that. I am in the number one movie in the history of the world. <laughs> and I can't get hired. <laughs> We're all out of work. Who were you in Godfather 2? I was, my, my, my part was cut out. Remember the guy, oh. Panucci, the guy in the white? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a scene where he is attacked. When Coppola, years later, put together the Godfather saga where he took all three movies and, yeah. and, and so I'm in that but yeah. I was one of three guys that that jumped jumped him and, and cut his throat no kidding yeah it was a really cool scene because he's all in white and and they cut his throat we cut his throat oh yeah the they, they refer to that yes yes by yeah. the way I'll tell you a funny story I I was working at O'Neill's balloon Patrick Patrick O'Neill's uh restaurant across from American Ballet theater uh Lincoln yeah. Center yeah. I was a waiter there. And one day these guys show up and they got 16 millimeter cameras. And, uh, I go, what are you guys doing? They go, well, we're, we're shooting, we're shooting some, uh, B roll. I said, Oh, are you filmmakers? I'm an actor. Uh, and they go, no, we're, we're doing a movie. We're looking, uh, we're scouting locations for a movie that's coming in from Hollywood. I said, well, you got anything in there for me? And he said, well, not really. You, you know, it's all old people, but you're an actor. Maybe you know we're looking for a good casting director. So I only knew one casting director, Vic Ramos, who I'd done extra work for. I said, Vic Ramos, the best casting director in the whole world. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, he calls me up. He goes, I'll be a son of a bitch. I've never gotten an extra. Got me a job. But I got, I just got this thing called Harry and Tonto with uh, Art Carney. But there's nothing in it. It's all old people. But I owe you one. So now he calls me up six, seven months later. He goes, look. I'm doing this movie for Pete's sake with Barbara Streisand. Peter Yates is directing it. You know, the guy that did Bullet. Yeah, yeah. He says, well, you're going to work for me. I'm going to give you a voucher a day and you'll take care. You're going to wrangle the extras and, and, uh, and if there's a, if there's a small part of something, you know, uh, maybe we get you. So one day Peter Yates goes, yeah, uh, who's playing the undercover cop? And I said, me. <laughs> he says, all right, come on. I was in my street clothes. Yeah. So I get the job. I arrest Barbara Streisand. The year goes by. I need to get my W-4. I call Vicky. says, come over. And all of these guys are looked at. There's all these guys dressed like Marlon Brando, right? right. Yeah. The hair slicked back. It's 1974. And he goes, Joey, I got it over here. He goes, wait a minute, Joey, 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 wait, wait. He goes, do you do stunts? I go, yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, and he goes, all right, come and meet Fred Roos. Fred Roos goes, you do stunts? Yeah. You, you're you an actor? Yeah. When you study, tell him I get hired. 
Now I've got a, what, it's my job apparently that I'm going to come from nowhere and jump on the back of this guy Benucci. Yeah. And we're at on Sixth Street in the, the back alley, and it's all this broken glass and condoms and you know IV needles. And and Coppola says, "Where's the stunt guy?" And I guess I was the little green because I saw that Fred Roos, the producer, immediately knew that I was a lying sack of shit. And he pointed right. at me like, that's the stunt guy. So I must have been shaking because Coppola takes me. He goes, I want you to jump off, <laughs> off of the first floor fire escape onto this guy's back. And uh, and I, I said, okay. And he looked at me and he said, that's pretty high, huh? I said, yeah. And... He said, all right, just come from around the building. So he knew. And, you know, somebody else would have said, get this fucking guy out of here and get me a stuntman. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But he didn't do that. And that's what I'm talking about. Those kind of happy, good luck moments in your life yeah. that, you know, enabled me to meet Robert De Niro and all of these people. And holy shit. Well, he was like, uh, Coppola was a pretty manic guy before he got... You know his diagnosis for his medicine. It wasn't he. Was he, was he wild to watch on set? No, no, no. You, you know, very calm, very, very commanding. You know, very calm. Yeah. I um, guess maybe it, maybe it was Apocalypse Now that put him over. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you worked? Did you work with? I don't know. Did you ever work with Dennis Hopper? I did. I worked with Dennis Hopper on a movie in Las Vegas, and he was wonderful to work with. Peter Weller, Dennis, me. I think Tia Carrera, Howard Fuhrer directed it. You know, what movie? You remember? I, I forget the name of it. But yeah, yeah. What, the cool thing that I remember is we were shooting nights. And it happened to be the night we were on, uh, we went on the roof to see them implode the Sands Hotel, which oh. was, you know, maybe 300 yards away, 400. Yeah, yeah. And we saw the Sands Hotel come down. That was amazing. That must, you hate Vegas. It must have been a good night for you. <laughs> <laughs> but your parent, your parents weren't the kind of people that went to Vegas, right? No, no. Yeah. They, my mom, my mom was a bookie. She this summer, the way we were able to go down the Jersey Shore, she worked for these bookies, and so she had a territory that would play the numbers. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the boarding house, uh, uh, the Newark boarding house, the East Orange boarding house, the Jersey City boarding house, and the Hoboken boarding house. What about um Tommy Lee Jones? He's a good guy. I love him. I love yeah. him. I think I think I think I learned more about acting from that guy uh, because he's he's so good uh, and he he's so smart. But he, he his intellect he's able to separate his intellect from from his. His spontaneity, his ability to be so spontaneous, and uh -huh. uh, you know, I I just adored working with him. Yeah, I've worked you... with him three times. I've done three movies with him. Yeah, it's the same character, right? It was all the fugitive. No, I, I the fugitive twice, and then we did a movie uh, with a uh, uh, Ron Shelton movie a couple of years ago. Morgan Morgan Freeman and 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 uh, uh huh and Tommy Lee. It was good. George Wallace. Uh, George Wallace, a comedian. Yes. What the hell movie was that? I think they changed the name of it. The Feast of the Seven Fishes? No, that no. no. Uh, the Brawler? No. Oh, maybe this is it. Just Getting Started. That's it. Okay. I yeah. never saw it. I've never seen any of those movies you just mentioned. With, with Rene Russo? Rene Russo was in yeah, it Yeah, I never saw it. 
<laughs> wait, wait. That's so. Did you have a lot of? Was your big scenes in it? Your big part? I was there for a while. Yeah, I just you know, it's like. <laughs> you're not gonna watch it, but you do like. It. So you're a guy like you're like me though. Like I don't, you you like doing it, and that's enough. What do you got? That's enough, and you're only going to be disappointed. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, well, they did this, they took that out. Right. Uh, I suck. Pretty right. much, I, I lead with I but suck. But what? But what about the fucking Sopranos? You got to be proud of that. Well, I didn't see that either. Come on. What are you crazy? I don't have HBO to this day. Oh, come, come on. You didn't watch yourself play that guy? That guy was a horrible person. <laughs> you know, incredibly fun, incredibly fun. But I, you know, but, you know, com very complicated guy, very, very nasty guy. You know? Yes, yeah, he was fucking horrendous. <laughs> fucking horrendous. Yep, yep. But he yep. got it. You got it. None of my kids are allowed to watch it. None of them. Traumatic. It would be traumatic. Yeah. They can't separate. You know, that's what nice. That's what, what's beautiful about movies is you know you know it's a fucking movie because it's not yeah. happening. It's happening on your TV. Yeah. Uh, you know you know it. You absolutely know. But you get involved. You believe these people. Yeah. Uh, you know, good ones. And yeah. So so it's like you no, know, like you said, it's the joy that in the moments of moments that. Is those little moments where, in between action and cut, where you go, what was you know? They somebody says cut, and and you go, the fuck was that? You know, like what what just what just happened? I, you know, and then you get these directors that that was perfect. Do it again, just like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know what the fuck I just did. <laughs> What's he talking about? But that they kept you on. Usually, you know, they kind of churn through guys in one season, the bad guys. But you were on for two seasons because they. They yeah. got a lot out of you. Dave, well, David, you know, David called, you know, he called me up. He says, it's two years work. You come in, you go up against Tony. You know, uh, this is all he said to me. I remember exactly. He says, he's a scumbag, but they're all scumbags. And then in the end, you're going to lose out to Tony. And, you know, it's two seasons. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all he said. Uh, I did that thing. I was on it for two months. Yeah. And I get a script and it says that I'm a coke addict i'm a drug addict nobody ever said i was a coke addict i never played that yeah <laughs> you know i didn't know this guy had an issue with drugs until yeah. i read about it and i said oh i just did four episodes four, four episodes <laughs> i could have used that he goes ah. <laughs> did, did you end up playing it later you know there's one scene where i'm doing i'm doing coke and yelling at kirk douglas uh, uh, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But like, what was it like in terms of these guys that you like, you, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, you know, you could sort of learn stuff from him as an actor. What was it like working with uh, Gandolfini? He seems pretty good. He was amazing. Uh, you know, they're, they're a lot alike. Uh, uh, Jimmy was incredibly sensitive. Uh, and also, the most generous guy I'd ever known in my life. And, um, and you know, and, and this is, this is a, a projection or, you know, uh, on my part, but, uh, you know, I, I, becoming that kind of uh, iconic uh, TV star what, was, was, I think, a somewhat confusing to him. 
and how yeah. you know uh, how people changed around him was somewhat confusing to him. Uh, like what the, you know, because he was he would always say, I, "I don't know what the fucking noise is about. I'm just some fat guy from Jersey." Right. You know? uh, but so much fun and uh, you know challenge because uh, you you know he kept you on your toes theatrically. You never yeah. you know you never knew who you were going to get. It was always fresh and always new. And then you have these smart editors that take all these bits and pieces and uh, and turn it into great stuff. So when after you do that guy, Ralph, in The Sopranos, like, I, you know, I, I imagine that more than any other any other thing you did, you know, because you were on you got so much screen time that people who watch The Sopranos, which was everybody except for you. Um, <laughs> You know, had a had a had a relief. There's still room for a fan out there. Then, <laughs> yeah, there's one holdout. Here I come. But I imagine that people recognize you from that more than anything. What was the reaction to, uh, that people had to that guy? I can't imagine that. There's some probably some guys like you grew up with who are like, "There he is." But like, we're... no, you, you know what? Well, by the time I got The Sopranos, I'd already done Memento. I'd already done Bound. I'd already done The Matrix. Um, oh, right. So, so, you, so, yeah. so it, it was a, you know, a cluster, depending on the demographic and the cultural backgrounds of these, you know, the fans. Right. You know, the college kids loved Memento. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, you had Afri the African Americans love The Matrix. And the bad boys movies, and a lot of the college kids love that. And then you got the the tri-staters. You know, uh, I, I usually get the Soprano stuff more in the in the New York area, Philly, Jersey, New York, East Coast. Yeah, East Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what is the reaction usually to him? Uh, well, it, it's like they call you by the character name. Yeah, so of course. You know, like uh, they'll say, "Hey, I'm really sorry about Tony." Yeah, but. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that used to piss me off when they would call me by the character name. Yeah. What's my name? I would say, what's my name? Who am I? What's my name? And they go, oh, relax, relax. <laughs> uh, really? You think you're going to kill him? Yeah. I would, you know, and, um, and, and Jimmy and Stevie Van Sant, Michael Imperioli would say, yeah. Joey, you know, <laughs> these are your fans. They're, they're, you know, they're paying the fucking rent. The customer is always right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after, I get like I imagine that women probably gave you a dirty look. No, on the contrary, uh, women. I I I remember after that that scene where you killed this. Uh, you killed a stripper. No, I killed this. I killed a underage stripper. Pregnant stripper. My child. Yeah, yeah. My child, and uh, and I was I was uh, looking at a store on Fifth Avenue. A couple of days later, I was looking in the window, yeah. and, so and somebody taps me on the shoulder, and it startled me. I turned around, and it was this nice blue-haired old lady. Yeah, She said, well, I wanted to say hello because I love your work, but I guess you're not as tough as the guy you play on television. <laughs> yeah. You know, after after I did Sopranos, I wanted to do – I wanted to change up. Uh, you didn't want to be uh, yeah. that adversity, so I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I produced and acted in a movie. Uh, um, Marsha Gay Harden was in. 
uh, called Canvas about an Italian American family who's, uh, who's introduced to mental illness and how mental illness is, affects the whole family, not just the diagnoses. Is there something you, something you wrote? No, no, a guy, a, a guy named Joe Greco wrote and directed it, but it was something that I wanted to, uh, marshal in because I'd been getting slapped around. Well, we were all getting slapped around by these anti Italian American anti defamation leagues. Uh, the, you know, and I was like, Hey, they, they didn't want you to take the job. Like, what are you guys nuts? And so what do you I, mean I, uh, by Italians? Yeah, there was a, there was a whole period where these Italian American defamation leagues were going after, uh, the Sopranos and David and, and the actors, uh, for even being a part of something that was that good. Uh, but they, they thought it, it defamed Italian Americans. Huh. Um, and I always thought that what I loved about the Sopranos, uh, was that if, if, if the Godfather was about the, the birth of family, the, the American family yeah. and honor, the Sopranos about the deconstruction right. of the, right. of the family, the, right. the falling apart. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and I really l- like that. Uh, so any opportunity, that's why, you know, the movie that I got coming out, uh, from the vine. Yeah. Which, which was an opportunity to play this Italian, uh, American character who's a lawyer who winds up working in a factory and then has a, an awakening, uh, with, with what he's doing for a living and goes back to his home country in Italy. So I got, to work in Italy with Italian actors and it was a bilingual, uh, uh, movie. And, and it was, it was a lot of fun for me to be, to get an opportunity like that because the movies that kind of really gave me most value were these little independent movies like yeah. La Bamba and, and Bound, uh, and, and Memento. Yeah. Uh, in those days, you know, these two, three, four million dollar movies. Where they couldn't get movie stars to play those parts. So a guy like me was able to get those parts. And the same thing with, with technology as it is today. This movie that we made in Italy, you know, for like a million bucks, but the technology is, is such that you can do it and it's less financial risk for the, uh, producers. And that a guy like me, they don't need some, uh, movie star two million dollar movie star so i can come in yeah and and get to play it these good parts so what was the thing about canvas that did that was uh so re- revelatory to you it was the idea that that when someone when someone's mind breaks and and someone that you love has ch- changed in a way that she no longer can can be reached and and then you have a ten year old boy, and you're stuck in the middle of of how do you get somebody help that doesn't think they need it? Yeah, you know, crazy people. We don't think we're crazy, right? You know? Right, right. And, and and actually, that was the the conduit that when Marsha Gay started working, I remember the first thought was like, who does she remind me of? And then I realized. It was my mother, because I never thought my mother was nuts. I just thought she was Italian. Yeah. You, you know, so like, I just thought it was, yeah. a, you know, an ethnic thing. I yeah, didn't think yeah. it was mental. Right, you right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, wait a minute. 
if that if that's the case, then it's not her fault. It wasn't my mother's fault, and then maybe this is not my fault. Huh. That's interesting. So it was through the uh, through the work on that film that was sort of the portal into you forgiving your mother and yourself and and sort of reframing your entire uh, uh, life in, in, in a kind of a more empathetic, uh, through a more empathetic lens. Yeah, it, 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 it became the thing where I asked for help. It was like mm. something, I'm hurting, it hurts. I was sucking down 20 Vicodin a day and, 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 and didn't, I couldn't understand why I was so depressed. And I was, you know, I'd look out my window and, you know, and, I'm in, you know, in the in my dream house. I'm I'm making money. I just won an Emmy award. I, all of the things that I thought were gonna, you know, make this feeling go away. Right. And I, I was like, and I had this like, I want to die. Mm. Why do I want to die? It was like yeah. fascinating. Why you got everything you want, and now you want to kill yourself? What's up? What's wrong with you? Yeah. And wait. And now, so what? What did you start to do? You went to therapy, or you worked it through? You. I had to, you know, I, I had a history, uh, heart disease in my family before I found oh. out my father was my father. So it t- turns out the good news is I don't have heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> good news, you don't have heart disease. The bad news is you're going to live to your 80. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I, you know, I went there and the doc said, how you doing? Uh, EKG's okay. How you feeling? I said, you know, I feel like I'm like underwater. I feel like I'm walking through quicksand and yeah yeah and he said oh yeah well you know wrong department uh here's here's these three or four guys you call <laughs> wrong department <laughs> so so i i found a guy yeah uh, a doctor and, and 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 that started the journey and so i as i started the you know i didn't know i had a drug problem i didn't know i was alcoholic i didn't know i was crazy i didn't know any of those things yeah you know i just knew that just you know i don't have energy i gotta get yeah. my energy back <laughs> that was doesn't it, yeah. everybody want to kill themselves i mean <laughs> I, th- I thought i thought anybody who's smart wants to kill themselves right <laughs> <laughs> so you know and the, and the and the the thing that the doctor one day the doctor i'm talking and yeah. he goes, he's nodding his head. Dr. Kelly, his name was, and he was half Jewish and half Irish, and he had the map of Ireland on his face, but he sounded, he talked like this, you know, yeah, like yeah. that Jewish New Jersey thing. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, you're not going to like hearing this, but your first waking conscious thought in the morning is, fuck, I'm still here. Yeah. And I started sobbing. I just, I just, I just, you know, and for the next six months, that's all pretty much, that's all I did. And all this pain, I didn't know where it was coming from to this day. I really don't know where it was coming from, you know, putting it all together. And I think also 9-11, when 9-11 happened, something, it was like a a fault line. Something got shook. Yeah. Uh, and all of that emotional dust um, and unresolved traumatic events that happened in the course of my lifetime all came crashing at me. And... uh and, and, and that's when I, that's when I started do, doing the drugs in a serious way. They got hold of me. Um, and, and, and at that point, you know, I was about like, you know, like the, uh, country western song about to lose everything. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I, you know, I surrendered kind of thing. 
but you are able to do that that grieving, right? You are able to you keep crying. That's I mean that's the trick, right? Mm-hmm. Shit, man. Like, you know, once it started coming up, like you kept you let it you let it keep coming, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, it's like you know, and and I luckily I had people and, you know, mentors again. You know, I had a good doctor and I had an AA sponsor that would just say nothing. They're just like non-judgmental. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so that's great, man. I I mean, like cuz I feel it I feel like I need to somehow figure out how to let all that go cuz I I stop myself from the crying, you know. I I toughen up around it. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, because I know it needs to happen. I don't, again, like you said, I don't know what for, but I, I know it needs to happen someplace and not just during, you know, movies or a sad commercial. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got to figure out, you know, like the, the tears squeak out, you know, like I got to put my cat down. That's going to fucking send me over the edge. But I, I know there's an abundance of it down there. But the thing is, is like I, I talk about this a lot with my family. It's like if I tell you a joke and I make you laugh, you that's an emotion. Yeah. So why 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 are we discriminating against pain? Why why is pain devalued or shamed? Why if I you know making you cry or making you laugh or making you angry, why is it okay to have those feelings and not have the pain? Well, I think that you know laughing and maybe a little bit of discomforts probably a, a, a little more acceptable socially. You don't want to go to a party and try to upset everybody. <laughs> Make everybody cry. I mean, I think it's it's a context thing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it, it, it's not a great defense to be standing there in front of a you know in, in a room full of your family, all of them crying, and you're yelling, going like, "This is what we need to be doing." Yeah. You know. So. Well, you know that's what wakes and, and weddings are for. <laughs> no, I see what you're saying though. That there is a discomfort. Uh, I, I I've talked about it before. I, I do. I, I think that at some point. You know, we lost the ability to realize that, you know, it's fairly easy to be there for people because a lot of times all you have to do is listen. But for sometimes, sometimes for some reason, people think that people, other people's problems are a burden. So people become ashamed of their problems. Right. So they don't want to talk about them because they don't want to burden people. And it's just this weird thing about the pace of life or people's priorities, because a lot of times, you know, all you got to do is stand there. You know that, yeah. you know, and listen to a guy. And then that's it, you know, feel what you're going to feel. But if they need to talk or they need to cry or whatever, you stand there and you go, okay, you better. Okay. Well, let me know. Call me again if you need to. And, but for some reason that people don't do that. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, this, this wasn't happening during dinner parties. It, you know, was like right. in, in safe environments in 12 step rooms. Right. And in fact, in the 12, you know, in, in, in the AA rooms, because, yeah. you know, the, the, my guy would say, Hey, look, you know, just call it alcoholism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, it's, right. You know, you know, it's you're crazy, but you know, call it alcoholism. So, so people would grab him later and say, "Hey, look, get this guy's fucking nuts. Get him out of here." He, <laughs> 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 and, and my and my guy was, you know, uh, ex cop, Irish, six yeah. five. So yeah. they were gonna fuck with him. Yeah, and he said, yeah. "You know, don't worry about him. I got him. Don't worry about him. <laughs> He'll level off." <laughs> and you did, huh? Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Hey, buddy, it's great talking to you. I'm looking forward to seeing the new movie. I watched a little uh, a trailer of it. It looks nice. Looks Thanks. sweet. Are you yeah, going to watch it? I've actually seen that one. Oh, yeah, really? I've seen that one. I have, I've actually seen that one. And uh, 
And it's pretty good. I like it a lot. It's just what the country needs. It's about life and love and, uh, and not about making money. Where this guy was making a lot of money and he realized, uh, you know, we, he's got a daughter that hates him and a wife, uh, that, you know, that doesn't love him anymore and he didn't even know it. So it, it's a great, it's, it's great. It's fun. And there's a lot of great actors in did it. Did you, did you feel like, uh, that was, those were themes that you could understand? Oh yeah. I told the director, <laughs> I said, look, I don't, they hired me right, you know, right quick i said look this is going to be a documentary i i don't have time to put together a character <laughs> does it take time for you to put together characters well sometimes when they're really complicated but this guy was is in a lot of ways closest to who i really am and how do you, you know? but how do you do that how do you put the like you know what what determines what what how do you go about putting together a complicated character well you know in, you investigate I, I, um uh, you know, based on the given circumstances, you know, like the little clues, what are the characters are saying about you? Right. Uh, you know, when I was doing the Sopranos, I remember I noticed I'd done three or four scenes and I noticed that every time that I hit somebody or yeah. hurt somebody that somehow they, it was a reaction to them starting it. They, they, they all came at me first. Right. And I and I said to David Chase, I said, "Hey David, I noticed this about the guy. What do you think?" And he said, uh, "Well, sounds you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, run with it." <laughs> um, but with the girl, with you know, with with the uh, with the girlfriend, yeah. you know, she she becomes very vulnerable in that scene, and she's and uh, and she she says, "I'm going to name the baby something," and I go, "Oh, great!" And if it's a girl. We can name the baby after you, so she could grow up to be a cocksucking slut just like her mother. Right. And she and she hits me. I got right. her to hit me, and then that gave me permission to retaliate. Right. And I and, and that was a big clue for this guy. Um, you know, and, and and that's the and you can make stuff up. You can create. You can create a set idea and say, okay, this is this is why this is why he's that way. Or, Right, so, right, know. right, right. Yeah. That's so funny because that's sort of like, you know, it's, it's that thing about, you know, like, uh, the permission, like, you know, it's like your mother pushing your buttons until she got to be able to sing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just keep poking at people until they snap. And then you go, Oh, you're going to do that? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I feel better. I think we got a lot accomplished. I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I got a meeting in. That's good. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoy uh, listening to you, and I think you're a terrific actor. I loved you on your show. Oh, thanks, I, I thought that was a very complicated, interesting uh, character, and I was very jealous, so that means you were very good. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, the more I talk to guys like you and the more I, I sort of think about the job of acting, since I'm relatively new to it in, in the sense I've been a comic my whole life, like I, I'm starting to appreciate it more, you know, after having conversations like even this conversation like i i think i can bring more to that guy i was we i was set to start uh shooting the day that we they closed it down for the last season so i was looking forward to getting involved with that mm. but uh but thank you for saying that and thank you for some of the uh, acting tips thank you joey pants jersey glad he's okay i am okay I don't know if the country's okay. Kind of hope our president's not okay. The twitching and the jerking. 
What's up? I guess I shouldn't wish ill on anybody. But God damn it, something's got to give. So Joey Pants' movie, uh, From the Vine, will be on VOD next month. And don't forget Ben and Jerry's three new non-dairy frozen desserts are a new twist on vegan euphoria. The Ben and Jerry's flavor gurus have taken a big leap this time, people. Their three new non-dairy flavors are made with sunflower butter, and they're the perfect sweet treat for vegans, vegetarians, and everyone in between. Check out the Ben and Jerry's sunflower butter lineup and the whole non-dairy family at benjerry.com. That's B-E-N-J-E-R-R-Y dot com. Okay? Sad guitar still. Still sad guitar.